to High Heels and Heartache. I'm your host, Kendall Ann. Thank you so much for joining me on this October episode of the podcast. In honor of the scariest month of the year, the month that we celebrate the scariest holiday of them all, Halloween, I interviewed an expert on a very scary topic in relationships, finances. I know, right now, the hairs on the back of your neck are probably standing up. (laughs) Finances, money, it's something that, you know, we tend not to want to talk about in relationships. And uh, I sat down with Dr. Brad Klontz to discuss why we need to be talking about finances. Um, Dr. Klontz is the founder of the Financial Psychology Institute and an associate professor of practice in financial psychology at Crichton University Hyder College of Business. He is a managing principal of Your Mental Wealth Advisors, a fellow of the American Psychological Association, former president of the Hawaii Psychological Association. He's partnered with organizations including J.P. Morgan Chase and H&R Block in efforts to help raise public awareness around issues related to financial health and financial psychology. Uh, He's published five books. He's been on shows like 2020, Good Morning America, and published places like USA Today, Money Magazine, New York Times, Washington Post, uh, and he's also been on NPR. So he was the perfect person for me to sit down and ask him a bunch of really hard questions about finances and relationships. So coming right up, Dr. Brad Klontz. Listen if you dare. (laughs) Hey, everybody, we're back, and I have Dr. Brad Klontz with me on the line today. Thank you, Dr. Klontz, for being here. I'm very excited to be chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Well, I found you because you you wrote an awesome article on psychology today, and it was called Little green lies. And first of all, I love the title of that. (laughs) (laughs) And your article discusses financial infidelity in relationships. And I think that this is something that doesn't really get addressed a whole lot. So I'm hoping that you can sort of walk us through exactly what financial infidelity is. So can you define that for us? Yes. So financial infidelity is essentially where you are deceiving in some way, um, typically your partner around money. Now it's, you know, classically we think about it in terms of, you know, you went shopping and you made a purchase and perhaps you didn't tell your partner about it or you sort of minimize the cost, but financial infidelity goes through all different types, all, all different aspects of our financial life. So there are instances where people will lie or even a lie by omission about money that was given to them or money that they loaned to someone else or an exceptionally risky trade that they made in the stock market. Um, So it it sort of spans the spectrum of of all of our financial behaviors, credit card debt, um, maybe even credit cards that a partner doesn't know about. Um, And what's so interesting about financial infidelity is it's, it's really, really common. So about one out of three Americans admit to deceiving their, their partner or spouse in some way 
around money. So that could be like, maybe you go to Target and say, I only spent $20. When you spent $120 all the way to you got out a credit card that your partner has no idea that you have now. That's right. Or you lent money to a family member and you knew that if your partner knew you did it, they'd, he or she would be super upset at you. And so you don't tell them about it. Okay. So that brings me to my next question. I think that that's like the perfect way to, to segue there. So you talk about like why it can be detrimental to relationships. And I think right there, you're kind of telling us because it's like hiding something. That's exactly right. And so um, it also implies, because this question, I get asked this question a lot, um, you know, well, hey, my partner and I, we're totally fine not telling each other about how much money we have in our bank accounts or our spending behaviors or whatever. And that's fine with me, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, if, if that's the arrangement you have with your partner, that's fine. That, that wouldn't qualify as financial infidelity because you've already established the relationship uh, and the understanding around how you're going to be handling money. But it's financial infidelity when your partner is operating from one set of um, expectations and understanding and you're operating from another one and there's a, a violation there. And it can be quite devastating um, because, you know, you, you're, what, it really begs the question, so if my partner is lying to me about this, what else are they lying to me about? And so when it, be, when it comes, you know, to light, it can be quite devastating on a relationship and it really shatters the foundation and around whether or not you can actually trust this person. Yeah. I can definitely understand that. So if you are in a relationship and how do you know that you have different ideas about money? Like how, how do you even come to the, the idea like, oh, I need to lie about this to my partner? You know, you are really hitting on a very important question. And that is, um, have you ever had a conversation with your partner about money to begin with? <laughs> Um, <laughs> and unfortunately the answer is quite often no money is a uh, taboo topic in our culture. It's when they do surveys, people would rather talk to their kids, for example, about the birds and the bees than about money. Wow. And yes, absolutely. And, and part of the reason I think is because people are, are so stressed about money. Three out of four Americans say that money is the biggest source of stress in their lives. And so what, what's sort of ironic is that studies have shown about one out of three Americans admit to basically lying to themselves about money. So they're trying to not think about their financial situation. They're trying to not look at it. And it's the same number who's sort of lying to their spouse. And I'm not saying that, you know, those are the, exactly the same people, but this is a hot topic. Many of us avoid thinking about it ourselves. And we certainly avoid talking about it quite often with our, the people who are even most the closest to us, quite often because we're ashamed so perhaps we've made mistakes in the past. Perhaps we've seen, you know, our parents fight about money. We don't want to get into a fight with our partner. Perhaps we're worried about being judged. There's a whole host of reasons about why this is something we avoid, but it's a very critical conversation to have. And, um, you know, money is the number one cause of divorce in the first three years of marriage. And I think one of the reasons that's the case is because we've never had that conversation. And probably we haven't seen it modeled for us because I don't... I don't remember ever hearing like an adult in my life growing up telling me that was an important part of establishing a relationship is finding if you're on the same page about what you think about finances. That's right. So it hasn't been modeled for us. 
Um, we all have these. The other thing is it's not typically explored within ourselves. So a lot of the research that, that we have done has looked at what we call money scripts, which are these typically subconscious beliefs around money that we got from watching our parents and growing up that are sort of clattering around in our subconscious minds. And we're not really aware of these things because money is not something that we talk about. And when you talk about things um, with other people, you have the opportunity to sort of examine how you look at things and get feedback from others. But this is something that is relatively secret um, within most of, most of us. And a lot of times our parents haven't taught us directly. And so we're stumbling into a relationship with someone else. And I would say, you know, your original question was like, how do we know if we um, are on a different page with our partner? And I'm going to just suggest to you that you are on a different page with your partner. <laughs> um, and because you come from different families, you come from different experiences. Even if you come from the same side of the tracks in terms of socioeconomic level, you were raised by different families. Your parents had different experiences, your grandparents. And sometimes what's influencing us psychologically around money dates back for generations. So sometimes stories that perhaps you've never even heard about, but a history of, for example, poverty that dates back two or three generations or, you know, coming from family of immigrants several generations ago. And they, they have this whole culture and this whole experience around money. All this gets passed down to you. And you might not be even realizing that you have these beliefs because they are so ingrained in your sort of family story. That's right. You don't, we don't even think of them as beliefs. We think of them as re, this is reality. <laughs> there is a truth, not a belief. Exactly. Exactly. Because we really don't have the opportunity to, to sit back and reflect and think about it, like I said, and discuss it and get feedback from other people because it's a taboo topic. So what would, how would you bring up the, the idea of like money to your someone you're dating or maybe you're married to them and you've never spoken about money. Like, what do you say? Like, Hey babe, we let's talk about money. Like how, how do you even breach the, the topic there? Oh, what an incredible question. Because the thing you don't want to do is say, Hey, let's pull out our credit reports. <laughs> <laughs> um, which by the way, you, you might want to do that at some point, but I wouldn't start there. Um, and, and so what I do with couples who are in conflict around money is I actually have them have the conversation that they should have had, you know, three, four, six dates into their relationship. It's kind of the same conversation that a lot of couples will have around, you know, like, do you want kids? Do you not want kids? You know, like, where do you want to live? What do you want to do? You know, it, it's sort of like, are you on a similar path to where I want to go? And that's part of the sorting process on whether or not we're going to be in a good relationship or, or we're like a desirable mate but we don't really have that conversation around money. So what I encourage people to do is to have that conversation. So for example, you know, what, what are your biggest financial fears? What are your financial goals? Um, what did your mother teach you about money? What did your father teach you about money? What was it like growing up for you around money, your socioeconomic class? And I would start there versus um, getting into a fight about how much we're going to budget for this category or that category, because most people haven't really thought about this themselves. And so as you're listening to your partner answer some of those questions, they're probably going to be having some insights themselves. And you're really going to get to know on a very deep level what, how their relationship with money is impacting them and, and sort of what's most important to them. Those are really great points. And they, they go hand in hand with, um, you have created an acronym um, for those couples who are facing financial infidelity in their relationship. And your first letter of your acronym of SAFE is S 
speak your truth. So that's exactly what you were just saying there. Yeah. Well, and first of all, I, I really do want to thank you for prompting, prompting me on what that acronym was. So, because <laughs> I, I have a vague re- recollection, uh, but no, I really do appreciate it. And, and part of it is like, is that speaking of your truth? And that is the S and, and safe. Um, and a lot of that has to do with your history and where you grew up and what matters most to you. Yeah. And some of the, um, the things that, that you say about speaking your truth, I really liked how you put out like, um, what is your most painful money memory? And I think that's an important thing to kind of dive into when you are speaking about money with the person that you have a relationship with, because that painful money memory probably dictates a lot of the, your ideas or your truths about money. It really does. And it's um, in our work, we call that a financial flashpoint experience. And it's something that, yeah, it's something that's so emotionally intense. Um, and so when you ask somebody and to reflect on your most painful money memory or your most joyful money memory on the flip side, there's a lot of emotion attached to it. Um, and what's so interesting about that is that experience led to a belief or an understanding around money because you're trying to make sense of that emotion. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that seem to be the most difficult or most challenging to change. Because quite often there's intense emotion attached with it. So for example, um, for, for many people, one of the most painful money memories of growing up might be a particular incident, but it's also probably several incidents that relate to perhaps not having enough money um, or being judged by other people for how much money you have, whether it's a lot or a little. And as a child, these, these experiences can have a dramatic effect on you. Like for example, growing up poor, Many people will go into adulthood with this belief that there'll never be enough money. And what's interesting about that belief, there will never be enough money is it's pretty extreme. Now it might totally accurately describe what it's like to grow up poor, but for many people, they've sort of shifted into lower middle class or middle class or even higher, but they're carrying this belief that there'll never be enough money. And it can lead to, you know, in the extreme, the first book I ever wrote was called The Financial Wisdom of Ebenezer Scrooge. And that's sort of the iconic example of somebody who believes that there'll never be enough money. And so what he did is he became a total money hoarder um, and kind of a miserly jerk to everybody. <laughs> um, and, but really it came, even, even Dickens talks about Scrooge growing up poor. And so this is part of his sort of trauma around money. And so we all have these emotional experiences growing up. Some of them can be quite traumatic. Um, but they'll sort of lock into these beliefs around money that make that can be difficult to shake. And that goes right along with one of your other um, questions in the S part of SAFE is figuring out what are your most important financial goals? Because I, I mean, just two people will always have different goals about everything. And certainly money would be one of those things where if those two things are at odds, that might cause some serious issues in your relationship. That's right. Absolutely. Um, and again, th- these are things that we don't typically talk about, um, but really, really important. And, um, you know, for example, as people are sort of entering in the retirement phase of, of their life cycle, it's really good to know what your partner is sort of like expecting to happen during retirement, because <laughs> you guys might have totally different plans, but you never really sat back and talked about it. Yeah. Okay. So that's perfect because the A letter in safe is agree to a plan. Absolutely. And this is actually can be kind of fun. Um, Like we recently did a study, it's actually coming out tomorrow, uh, 
um, where we looked at how we could sort of encourage people to save more money. Uh And um, what we found is after doing what I'm about to describe to you, people were actually able to save about 73% more. So on average, they went from saving about 10% to about 17% because they got so excited about their plan. Um, And so I like, I always like to start the B word, which is budget, um, which can be sort of a dirty word for a lot of people. Um, But I always like to start it with, what do you want to spend your money on? Like, let's start with that. What's most important to you? And this is a fabulous conversation to have with your partner. And actually it should be fun and engaging, but what, what's most important to you? Is it, is it like you want to travel? Is it education for kids? Is it a a home you want to, a certain place you want to live? I mean, have an exciting conversation where you can really flesh out these goals and you'll find some goals that are different, um, but you'll find some that intersect. And, and what you want to do is, is as a couple is get on the same side, easier it'll be for you to reach your goals. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is an important part about if you are emotionally in, in, in it to win it, then you're probably going to stick to it. Absolutely. And then it becomes a lot easier to just sort of shave off those things that didn't really matter. <laughs> you know? um, and that's unfortunately, that's where most people start the budget. It's like, okay, let's sit down and why don't you tell me about all the things you love to do? And then we'll just go cut all that out of your life. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like, well, no wonder you don't want to do a budget. Okay. So I have to suffer for 40 years, you know, no, that's, that's really going to be not successful at all. So I'd like to really start with what you're passionate about and what you want. Mm -hmm. And the F part of safe is follow the agreement. But the part that I love that you talk about in your article is to at first set up the agreement to be valid for the next 30 to 60 days. I, I just love that idea of like, okay, we, let's, let's do this for 60 days and then we'll reevaluate after. Yes. And, and the reason that, that I spoke about that is because, again, many of us are really have no idea what we actually want around money and our values because we just don't talk about it a whole lot. Um, and so just to leave some room in there that you're, you're going to come up with this agreement, um, but then you really want to monitor it. So like, for example, one of the things that my wife and I have agreed upon is a certain amount of money that we um, are okay spending without consulting with the other person. Now, I will say this, this number has fluctuated in our lives. You know, when, when things are, when we're first starting out, it was a much lower number. Um, when we had kids, the number became lower. <laughs> um, so this is a number that you can adjust together as, as, as you're um, going through life. But just in an example of, of an agreement that we had where I don't really need to worry about it, and she doesn't really need to worry about what I'm spending because we've had that dollar amount at which point we're going to consult with each other around. Um, and so when we're entering into this agreement phase, just really having some grace and, and understanding that we're not sure how it's going to feel. We're not sure how it's going to be working for me or working for you. Um, and how it's going to be impacting our relationship. And so um, revisiting that plan and that agreement is pretty essential. Yeah. And the E part of the acronym is to establish an emergency response plan. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So studies have shown that most couples never resolve about 70% of what they fight about. Whoa. Okay. So first of all, to your listeners, do y'all feel better about your relationship right now? (laughs) I mean, you know, because I think we have this myth that, um, you know, a good couple 
you know, we work everything out. We, we agree with each other on everything. You know, maybe there's, you know, five or 10% that we're still going to be in conflict around. Well, no, no, no. That it's the opposite is true. Like we have that, like the full house effect, like at the end of the conversation, the music's going to play. We're going to hug just like at the end of full house and everything will be happy. That's right. And, and Hey, we really need to savor those moments. Okay. (laughs) Um, and enjoy those moments, but it really does help. I mean, let me just tell you this. It makes me feel great about my marriage <laughs> every time I read that statistic. Because if we're only, if we can just resolve like, you know, 30% or 35% where we're on the same page, yeah. um, then we're doing great. Yeah, that's um, really and, good. <laughs> right. So, so and, and really what this research shows is that, um, you know, we have, we have our natural sort of set points and, and um, preferences and all this. And you can't go about trying to like beat your partner over the head metaphorically um, to to get them to change their opinion about things. You know, for example, my, my wife likes to stroll into the airport sort of last minute, which just drives me nuts. You know, I'd like to get there two hours ahead of time. I'm the same way. <laughs> well, by the way, we're never going to convince each other that the other person's right no. ever. And so then what you need to do, can we negotiate some sort of an agreement? And so that emergency plan, part of that emergency plan that I think is really important, given that this is such a dangerous topic for couples, is that if you keep running into a wall where you can't get over that conflict to just agree ahead of time to like, like, like once you become engaged, you should already pick your marital therapist, you know, where you've, you've both have selected this person, you know, you've got them on your contacts on your phone and you agree that if one of you, either one of you feels like the other person's not really hearing you or there's, there's significant conflict in your relationship that you agree that you're going to go call this person to get some help. Yeah. And I think that that's an important part because one thing that I read in this article that I was like, oh, what? Is you name um, that you might need to seek the help of a financial therapist. So what is a financial therapist? Yes. So, you know, my definition of a financial therapist is, um, first of all, a therapist, you know, and um, a lot of these individuals are, are couples therapists. So they have some experience working with families and couples, but somebody who's also comfortable talking about money um, because, you know, not, not all therapists are really comfortable with that. So you want to find somebody who, um, you know, has the skills to be like a marital counselor, couples counselor, um, who also has some experience talking about money. Because again, money is, is the number one reason that couples divorce in the early years of marriage. And it's one of the number one things that couples fight about. Um, and so a great resource for that is the Financial Therapy Association. Um, and they have a website and there you can look for somebody who's, um, they have financial planners on there too, but really look for somebody who's a therapist who also has experience working with money. Okay. I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes because that seems like a really good resource for people to to find someone to talk to. And okay. So now if you're in a relationship, how do you protect yourself monetarily speaking in the relationship? What can you do? Yes. And so you were talking about the flip side where, um, how do I protect myself from somebody who perhaps is deceiving me around money? And, you know, there's some really built in important things that I think every couple should be doing anyway. And, um, I alluded to it previously, like, don't do this on the first date where you say, Hey, you know, 
Um, I'll show you my credit report if you show me yours. Um, but this is something as a couple, like, look, you know, you are a household if, if you're in a, you know, couple and, you know, especially if you're filing taxes together. Um, but you're at least, you're at least in the same boat um, financially. And so it's really, it makes a lot of sense to me that you would sit down with your partner and both of you would go over your credit reports um, where you would both be looking at these um, at least yearly just to make sure that, um, you know, there aren't any mistakes being made there that could hurt your credit if you wanted to buy a house someday, et cetera. Um, so to me, this would be, it's sort of a built-in, number one, every couple should be doing it. Number two, if your partner refuses to show you their credit report, that would be a red flag for me. Yeah. That would definitely be something to, to make you want to kind of dig in there and see what's going on. Right. And that leads to my next question, because you also wrote an article titled, Do You Have a Money Disorder? And mm-hmm. in the article, you summarize um, some of the important parts of your book called Mind Over Money. Mm-hmm. And you talk about some specific money disorders. So... My first question is, what is a money avoidance disorder? Right. Um, so as I mentioned, money is a huge source of stress. And um, so what we've done is some research. And for some people, their desire to sort of avoid dealing with that stress. So they're really stressed about money. They don't want, so they end up not wanting to think about it. So perhaps they let their statements pile up. They don't want to open them. They don't want to look at them. And for some individuals, this is driven by a belief that, um, you know, money is bad or money corrupts or rich people are greedy. This is one of the, one of the ways that people will avoid money or wanting to touch it. So they have a negative association with it. And, and it's not an uncommon belief, like, especially if you grew up lower socioeconomic status and, and sort of feeling like, you know, you're being left out or left behind. It's really common in those groups to disparage people who have more than you. Um, and certainly you can, you can definitely find wealthy people who are terrible human beings. I mean, you don't have, and if you're looking for it, you can find it everywhere, uh-huh. but it, but it's only part of the truth. I mean, the, in, in reality, um, you can actually have a lot of money and be a really, really good person. As a matter of fact, I want, I want the, all the good people in the world to have all the money yeah. uh, <laughs> because that's a good thing. So anyway, th- that avoidance and that anxiety and that negative association with money can lead to some self-destructive financial behaviors. So if you're in a relationship with someone and you notice that they don't like to open bills or they don't really want to talk about money ever, it's possible they might have some money avoidance behaviors going on. It could be. Now, so you have a few hypotheses. Okay. One is that um, they're trying to hide something from you. Mm-hmm. Number two is that um, they fall into that category of a third of Americans who don't want to even talk about, think about money themselves. <laughs> so they're lying to themselves. But there's a third hypothesis I want you to entertain. And that is that you're a bully around money. Ooh. Okay. So now this is something that, you know, maybe I caught you by surprise. Um, <laughs> but sometimes... If you, if you are sort of like super controlling and judgmental around money, and let's go back to that Ebenezer Scrooge example, um, it's not uncommon that your partner wouldn't want to tell you some things because perhaps you have a dramatic overreaction to the simplest of, of expenses. And so you can actually create financial infidelity in somebody else by being a financial bully. So that is something you have to take an honest inventory around your, what you're doing to contribute to that. So it's possible if maybe 
if your spouse had one of those, they spent 120 bucks at Target when they only went there for Band-Aids and you maybe had an emotional reaction to $120 being spent, it's possible that then that person is not going to want to share with you more about their spending habits for fear of judgment or arguments or whatever. Yeah. And it's one thing if they've sort of violated an agreement that you have. It's another thing if they, um, you are just super anxious and controlling around money. <laughs> and if you're wondering if you are, just go ahead and ask your partner. You know, <laughs> Just say, hey, do you experience me as being overly controlling or anxious around money? So maybe, um, and, and, yes, go ahead. Well, maybe it would be a better idea like if you do feel that sort of emotional like anger about the money is to just, I mean, as hard as it is, have an honest relation, have an honest conversation with your partner like, hey, that sort of made me feel upset that we spent $120 at Target when we really didn't need to let's talk about what we would both feel more comfortable with moving forward. Right. And I would, I would venture a guess that in most of those situations, that's not a conversation you've ever had. So you have a set of assumptions, your partner has a set of assumptions and you have no idea what the other person is assuming. And then of course you're appalled because your partner violated this assumption that you have in your head that they didn't know about. Yeah. That's really good advice. Okay. So the second money disorder that you discuss is money worshiping disorders. So yeah. So yeah. So this is a category of behaviors around money um, that can manifest itself in different ways. Um, And so for, and it's also money worship is also um, a category of beliefs that we've discovered in our research. And these beliefs are, are things like, you know, money will solve all my problems. More money is going to make me happier. Okay they're sort of ubiquitous in the United States. Like there's this belief that money is going to come into your life and then all your problems are going to melt away. It's going to be beautiful. All you needed was money. Now you're happy. That's why Um, we play the lotto. Exactly. Right. Which, which by the way, destroys a lot of lives. If you get a (laughs) bunch of money um, and then your, you know, your siblings end up killing you, which, which happens sometimes. Um, So it's, by the way, you know, anyone who has achieved a certain level of wealth or, or riches can totally tell you, in a very um, sure way that actually, no, all your problems don't melt away. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're living in poverty, um, some more money is totally going to make you happier. Um, And they've done studies on this too. Of course, you know, food, shelter, clothing, these are really good things and they're going to make you happier. Um, But once you hit that middle-class level, there's really no association between money and happiness above that middle-class level. And this has been, lots of studies have been shown around this. Money disorder, you know, money worshiping disorders are the belief that more money and more stuff's going to make me happier. And so compulsive buying disorder falls into this category where people um, basically are addicted to shopping. And it's not like, um, oh, I'm addicted to shopping. You know, I love to shop. No, no, no. This is like a devastating addiction. It it afflicts about 6% of the population. And it leads to depression, sometimes suicidal thoughts where people are obsessed. They have an addiction to shopping. Same thing with gambling, that, that can become an addiction. Um, that, and those things fall in that money worshiping um, category. So that's not just like you go to Sephora and you can't pick between two lip glosses, so you pick both. Like, and then you, then you think like, I'm addicted to shopping. No, if you have a money worshiping addiction to 
like a compulsion to buying things. You, you can't stop yourself from buying things. Correct. Yeah. And and the whole definition of a disorder is something that significantly is impairing your life in a dramatic fashion. Um, So this isn't just the average overspender, which by the way, is the average American, you know, Um, and that's not good, you know, Um, but this is somebody who is, is really suffering with, with something that um, quite often they need help to overcome. Mm -hmm. Now you also discuss money relational disorders and we've talked about financial infidelity But one thing, I've never heard this before. What is financial enabling? Yeah, so this is what we would call financial help that hurts. And it always comes from a sense of I'm wanting to help. I I care about you. Um, But basically, it's empowering somebody's typically like irresponsible financial behavior or bad financial behavior by giving them money and financial support. Um, And so it's financial help that hurts you and possibly hurts the recipient. Um, and again, it, it's always, it, it, quite often you see this happening with between parents and adult kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we like to use the word spoiling, um, but really you're giving money, which reinforces some sort of, you know, undesirable bad behavior or, you know, it, like, why would I ever get a job if you're going to keep giving me money? <laughs> you know, I'm not stupid. Like, why would I want to go through this, all this difficult life experiences of making my way up, you know, starting with really bad jobs, if you're just going to be giving me money all the time. I'll just quit that job. Yeah. So inevitably it's, it's sort of reinforcing a behavior that is destructive for the person. So it would, if you are financially enabling someone, you have become their safety net and they don't have to be their own safety net. Exactly. And so, and you're also encouraging that behavior to continue. Gotcha. Because why would they help themselves if you're just going to help them? Right. And so, you know, we like to throw, um, you know, character assassinations at those individuals. But, um, you know, I'm a psychologist and a scientist. And by the way, I would never do this study, but you could give me any kid, you know, and I could totally raise them to be spoiled and and never do anything productive in their life just by giving them money every time they need it and want it, um, giving them everything they need and not having any strings attached to it that would support their development as conscientious individuals. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. Let's, what advice can you give us about money and relationships? Maybe not even, you know, romantic relationships, but just relationships in general. What, what advice can you give us about how money fits into relationships? So I would start by just sort of cautioning you. Like if you don't already know this, you know, money is a really hot topic. Um, and so that's number one. So approach it cautiously. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, when you find yourself annoyed with somebody that you're close to somebody that you care about in terms of money, don't just throw a comment at them and passing at the dinner table, um, set, you know, set an appointment. So that's one of the things that I like to talk about. It is a hot topic. So you could say, Hey, you know, I'd like to talk with you about, um, you know, how we're doing money or retirement or, saving for some financial goals, you know, when would be a good time to have that conversation? When could we talk? So set an appointment for this because this can be a hot topic, especially if you haven't talked about it much. So be careful. Yeah, that's really good advice. You know, the other thing I would, I would say is just to remind you that, um, you know, it's common for you to have different assumptions and beliefs around money than your partner or your family members or your friends and not to pathologize that, not to make that bad. Um, because again, what, how you are approaching money 
unless you've really explored it, you believe that it's the only way to do it. You believe that your beliefs are reality. Um, and there are many other ways to approach money and to think about money and just being conscious and having that awareness that you don't have it all figured out. So a big dose of humility is a really good thing. And I think that's important because when we're talking about any of these topics that make us feel vulnerable, like any kind of judgment we receive from our partner is really hard. And when we're talking about something as personal as money, you know, if we do feel any kind of rejection of our values from our partner, that would be really painful. Absolutely. And, and many of us feel a lot of shame about our previous behaviors around money or even our current behaviors around money. And that adds to what makes it a vulnerable, difficult topic. Especially if maybe you haven't made the best choices in the past and then having to kind of come clean about that, that probably would be hard feeling like you're going to be judged. If you haven't engaged in some sort of financial behavior that you regret, I'd be really surprised. <laughs> And I don't mean you specifically. I mean, everybody. <laughs> I will tell you. So like I try to be my, my dad lives outside of Atlantic city. And whenever I go visit him, I'm like, I'm going to spend $100 on gambling. But sometimes I've spent more than a hundred dollars. I'll be honest. Well, right. And there were t entire teams of scientists who got together to try to figure out how to separate you from your money. Oh, that makes me feel much, about, much better. It's not my <laughs> fault. Science did that to me. <laughs> exactly. Just, just sort of understanding that, um, you know, that um, so many of our decisions around money are really made with our emotional brain. Mm -hmm. um, and so just being consciously aware of that. And so, um, of course, you're going to have temptation to spend more because stores are designed, sales are designed to separate you from your money. So you really have to have this sort of, um, you know, an adolescent view about what people are trying to do to you. And by adolescent, I mean a little bit, you know, sort of oppositional um, Ooh, yeah, in just being aware of, of how marketing, for example, is sort of set up to engage you emotionally to get you to spend your money. That's really good advice. And it's, it's also, I, I think that the idea that we our partners are coming with a whole different set of beliefs about money that we have, no idea where that influence came from and how that, you know, causes them to make certain decisions all the time. And we have to really be gentle with each other about that. I think that's a really important, you know, part of the discussion. Yeah, I agree. And, and some of that um, self-awareness is so important. So of course, I want you to know, you know, what it was like for your partner, but the added benefit of that exercise is that maybe you're not even aware. Like, what did your mother teach you about? And what did your father teach you? And what was it like for them growing up? Wow, now that's an interesting one. What was it like for your parents growing up? Um, because a lot of their experiences and that emotion is getting passed down directly to you. Yeah. Well, this has been so enlightening. And I just want to say you have been kind of all over the television and in print talking about all of this money stuff. You've been on 2020. Good Morning America, USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, Time, Money Magazine, NPR. You've also published five books. Where else can we get more information from you? Because you, you are a fantastic resource. 
Oh, I appreciate that. Well, I've been really pouring a lot of attention and frankly, having just way too much fun um, on my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Brad Klontz. And there I, I talk a lot about our research around, you know, our own money psychology and, and give tips and, and tools basically to help people improve their relationship with money. Okay. Well, I will definitely put a link to that in the show notes. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I learned a ton. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Brad. Take care. Thank you so much, Dr. Klontz, for coming on the podcast today. If you'd like more information from Dr. Klontz, check out the show notes for links to his books and his YouTube page and his web page. Um, Dr. Klontz walked us through a lot of ways that we can talk about finances and relationship, but we didn't talk about uh, financial abuse in this episode. And we'll talk about that in another episode. For this one, I just really wanted to concentrate on finances in relationships where there was not abuse. Um, If you are in an abusive, unhealthy, or unsafe relationship, please know that there is help. You can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-SAFE.